This is Climate. Going Barry White here. Future.com. <laughs> Boom, man, we did it. We did it. Hey, I, think the, I think the low tone is actually better. Yeah. Hey, we, we've already displaced Bob Dylan. Now we're going to displace Barry White. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna have variations from today on, and uh, yeah, welcome. Today we have a uh, very special guest because uh, we are again on a different continent. Wow. We're in Africa. Kaidos, welcome. Welcome. Where are you Kytos. tuning in from? Thanks for having me. Uh, tuning in from beautiful Nairobi, Kenya. Oh. Oh, so, so of course, the first question that we always have is like, how, how is the weather over there? <laughs> uh, it, w- it was relatively cold, close to uh-huh. 15 degrees Celsius, but it's uh-huh. getting warmer. So we're we're inching into the 25 degrees, which is oh. uh, mm. what what our beautiful city is known to be. Oh, wow. So it's similar to here in Brussels. I mean, uh, I think today is probably, well, right now it's 16 degrees Celsius. So this is how it is here. Okay. But we're going in the other direction, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just came from Davos and then uh, Davos, and uh, we had snow already today. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyways, here we are not here to talk about the weather. We are here to talk about classic climate in the future. future. Yeah, that's what uh, what's our theme, um, and what we like to engage into is, of course, the topics around sustainability and innovation, and of course, circularity with plastics. And that's why you are here today, um, because, of course, on one hand, we want to also showcase new innovations and new sh- solutions, but we also want to foster the dialogue um, between the different stakeholders. And you are one representative from. The industry today, I think it's important not only to look what's next to our borders and what's within our uh, regions, what's happening, for example, in Europe or or US, uh, but also go beyond that. And um, we have actually recently spoken to Baishan from Jordan. So she was the first guest from the Middle East, uh, telling us a bit about her project. Um, and today we have the first guest from the African continent. So, so Kairos, again, you're the founder of a company called Cubic, right? Um, but I think before we dive deeper into what this company is actually doing and what's behind it, maybe you can tell us more a bit about yourself, like where you're coming from, what's the background and, uh, how did you end up in the world of plastics? Absolutely. And and thanks again for having me. This already sounds like a very fun uh, episode <laughs> it, to be a part of. <laughs> it's just the beginning. It's just Welcome the beginning. <laughs> so, 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 so yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Kedus. Uh, I'm a son of Ethiopia. Um, if you were from Ethiopia, you will call me Kedus, which is very uh-huh. hard for people to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I grew up in Addis. Um, oh, wow. Happy, uh, carefree uh, upbringing in a very beautiful neighborhood that, I've, that I still frequent. Um, when I was growing up in, in the 80s and, and, and early 90s, Addis was a very quaint city. Mm-hmm. Almost everyone would know anyone. Uh, I remember 
kind of sneaking out of, uh, outside of the house. And this is before cell phones. And I would just have a network of people and shopkeepers letting me know that my dad is on the way home. And this was you know, <laughs> eight or four kilometers away. So, so that's how small it was. And, and I really enjoyed that upbringing. Uh, very green, uh, very predictable weather. Um, mm-hmm. I just had a very beautiful childhood. Um, I do remember uh, things changing a little bit uh, on the turn of the century mm-hmm. and the turn of the millennium. Uh, there was a lot more quote unquote, progress and development. Uh, There were more highways. We saw our first expressway coming in. Uh, We saw all these roads uh, cutting through our very beautiful mountains and forests. Mm. And as fascinating as that started off to be, I do remember coming back home and coughing more, uh, Mm -hmm. washing my face, and Mm. the water was slightly less clear than it should be. Basically, the cost of development was happening right before my eyes. And this was one of the first experiences that I had to the adverse effects of what growth and urbanization looks like. Um, So a little bit more about me outside of Addis. uh, I was very fortunate to have parents who invested a lot in my education. Uh, That led me uh, to the U.S. where I got my uh, college education. Wow. Uh, Where did you study? I studied electrical and biomedical engineering uh, in the uh, in the very great University of Duke, Duke uh, in North the Carolina. Blue Devil. You're a Blue Devil. I'm, I'm, I'm a Blue Devil. I'm a Cameron crazy. I'm I'm, I'm all of that stuff. I'm an Arkansas Razorback, and we're going to oh, win wow, the we go. football this year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as as you know well, we don't talk much about our football at Duke, but our basketball was great, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and I had a very uh, wonderful uh, education. Super. I think uh, around the time that I hit my senior year, I also do remember thinking that, okay, maybe I'm not going to be building artificial hearts and researching on MRIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did think that I might go into hydroelectricity mm-hmm. and go to build one of the biggest uh, hydroelectric dams uh, that my country has ever seen. Mm-hmm. That's already happened, by the way. But then a very fascinating company called Google came into campus and recruited me to become a software engineer, which I had no clue of of what to do. Um, But, you know, uh, my adult life uh, was spent half within the private sector, uh, did really cool things at Google. I, I, I was able to participate in Google having all these brand new languages all over the world and making it more accessible to new people. Wow. Uh, but at the same time, I, I worked in uh, consulting. Mm-hmm. I felt like one of the biggest assets I can build up before I go back home is how to explain very complicated and very complex issues in a very clear and succinct way that will convince people to do something about it. And no better way place to do that but in management consulting where they teach you how to make PowerPoints really, really well. <laughs> um, I know I'm in this business as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I still take a lot of that talent where I go now. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I my heart was always back home and how I can participate in the growth and development story of both my country and, and the continent that it belongs in. Um, after doing uh, my graduate school uh, at uh, Princeton, mm-hmm. I found this very fascinating world of development and technology. 
And I got hired to be UNICEF's first product manager, where I worked on a lot of really cool mm -hmm. uh, open source software uh, around the world. Mm -hmm. This opened a really new chapter in my life. Uh, as much as I loved nerding out and doing a lot of software kind of work, uh, I also realized that if we were going to be serious about uh, touching the lives of billions of people all at once, we need to really be focused on simple, straightforward, but existential challenges that they're facing. Mm -hmm. um, from everywhere that I've been, including, of course, places like Jordan and, and, and the refugee crises that they've seen mm -hmm. there in the mm -hmm. past. Mm -hmm. One thing that I noticed is at the end of the day, the most vulnerable, the poorest of people still want to buy stuff. Mm -hmm. Like They want to have the dignity of not being uh, another handout case. They mm -hmm. want to buy their food. They want to yeah. buy the medicine. They want to pay for their kids' education. Mm -hmm. The lack of opportunity, both economic and situational, has put them in a place where they couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I realized if there was one thing that I can do is understand that context better. Forget about the technology. How do we actually understand challenges better? Mm -hmm. And that's when I got into the very, very wonderful uh, business of trash. Uh, <laughs> my, my very longtime mentor, his name is Abu Campo. He was the head of UNICEF Ivory Coast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was ranting to him uh, while I was at some trade fair on, on drones in Prague. Mm -hmm. I was telling him, I don't know what I'm doing with my life anymore. I want to do all these cool things. And he said, why don't you take a detour? Come to Abidjan and let me show you what I'm, what I'm up to. And he showed me one classroom, uh, which seemingly was really nice. And he told mm -hmm. me it's made out of 100% plastic waste. Wow. And that changed my life. Mm. He told me, let's do more of these in country and prove to the world that as an organization, we can transform people's lives. Uh, by cleaning their environment, but also providing them with very affordable, dignified ways of living. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. We'll go wow. a lot more into that. But my story into trash started on a detour from Prague to Abidjan while I was on my way back to New York. Wow. wow. I mean, that's just fascinating, isn't it, Matt? I mean, your story is just fascinating. And I mean, uh, uh, and and I'm curious how it brings you to... Uh, to Kubik. <laughs> yeah, yeah Kubik is, uh, well, first off, what is Kubik? Uh, yeah. we, we're, we're turning hard to recycle plastic waste into low cost, low carbon building materials. And what we want to do is build dignity through clean and affordable living for all. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the soul of the company and our business is turning trash into value. Um, when we started this project uh, with Abu and Cote d'Ivoire uh, at UNICEF, there were two things that we were looking at. Uh, as you know, UNICEF is a children's organization. Yeah, it yeah, also yeah. looks at uh, empowering their moms, right? We focus on women as well. So we wanted to see how we can take this thing called plastic trash, which was in every urban poor community and causing the two biggest baby killers, malaria and diarrhea, mm -hmm. and get it out. Like, how do we improve the health and well-being of kids? By removing plastic waste. That was our first thing, right? The second thing was, wow, you go to these landfills, you go to these neighborhoods, those who are collecting it are women. And moreover, they're women who are mothers. And we wanted to see how we can empower them by actually giving them a dignified way of buying this waste, making them entrepreneurs versus subsistent waste collectors. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And at the same time, being able to transform this into a better opportunity for kids to build, uh, to, 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 uh, to study in, in schools that are really beautiful. And we did it. And you, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned hard to recycle plastics, right? This is this what you focused on from the beginning or this is where you saw the, the, the bigger opportunity? The opportunity. Yeah. Definitely we saw it later on. We, we were very naive to think all plastics are created equal and we can just take all of them and make what we need to. Um, after we set up a factory and, and we started this production process of, of, of bricks and, and different building materials, one thing we noticed was, of course, plastic waste has uh, various segments of markets. Uh, the wonderful bottle and uh, PET waste is actually a fairly saturated market in recycling in places like Abidjan and, and Addis mm-hmm. where we work. Uh, there's business around it, right? But if you go to the landfill, there's a lot of uh, LDPE, HDPE, PPPS, all of these different types of products that are just thrown. There's no value to it, right? Yeah. The value isn't created for two reasons. One, um, nobody's buying it, <laughs> simply put. Second is the barrier of entry to actually collect, process, and bring it to a quality and standard that buyers will actually have a need for is so high, nobody can afford to do it, especially in these contexts, right? Mm -hmm. So what we did is when we started Cubic, we said, all right, as a business, we have a big opportunity to take hard to recycle waste because there's no market for it and we can buy it for very cheap, right? But from a sustainability side, from the side that we really cared about, here's something that we've created a market around. Mm. And we can take at a very low barrier of entry. The waste collector in Ethiopia and, and Cote d'Ivoire are extremely poor, mm-hmm. right? Even poor communities see them to be poor. And the reason for that is the amount of money that they make around this business is very menial. So mm-hmm. by, a, by being able to say, look, we will provide great market pricing for you. We will buy it at volume. You don't have to do much more than basic sorting and cleaning was already a huge opportunity where we can create yeah, thousands yeah. of jobs. So wow. this is kind of the, the the ethos that we started off with. And of course, um, you guys are the experts around around plastic and climate and and it's and the, and the ability to be able to create value and opportunities around it. But to just go a little bit more into what we what we are doing. We're not recyclers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we buy plastic waste and we activate a market and focus on the base of the population to be able to take opportunities from this. But what we're also doing is we're focusing on selling this to real estate developers. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing that I didn't mention is when we were doing this really cool thing around plastic and innovation and Cote d'Ivoire, wow, we realized how buildings cost a lot. Cement fluctuates all the time. Getting bricks is so difficult. Importing steel and rebar is so expensive. And a lot of the progress on infrastructure, which is needed, is inhibited because of these barriers. So when we thought about this, we said, this is an affordability play. If we have an opportunity to transform all this plastic into something, it should be affordable materials. So what we've done is we've worked with real estate developers and asked them, what do they need? He said, look, I need something that I can get out fast, which is cheap, but it doesn't compromise on the integrity, safety, and what I can do with it. So our product philosophy became build the most boring product 
so that nobody thinks it's anything else but the wall that they're used to, right? But in the back end, we're creating a way of making it super cheap. We're at least 40% cheaper, super fast to build with. We're almost twice faster to build a wall. And all while removing the very, very bad stuff that's polluting these urban communities that we're trying to build. Wow. (laughs) And do you also build then the infrastructure or like, I think it comes actually to the question, what is the technology that you need to, to build these bricks? Like, is it also a base or a platform technology that once you start in one application or one market, you can actually scale it up to different applications or actually start the whole value chain and then and then uh, through this also yeah create these new job opportunities and then mainly yeah a new raw material source or closing the loop in the raw material that is already there, right? <laughs> No, it's a great question. Um, I mean, what we're doing is we're taking the various types of plastic we collect um, after processing them, so either flaking or pelletizing them. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is we use them in various proportions in our mixture to make uh, these products, right? Yeah. What we're doing is we we extrude our products and mold them into things like bricks, columns, beams. Mm-hmm. And the very important piece about this is that it's also interlocking. A lot of companies that we were seeing when we were at UNICEF, sure, they're taking plastic and making bricks and all that stuff, but you still need some kind of rebar or some kind of steel to hold the structure together, right? Or you need some kind of adhesive to hold them together. Mm. So we said, look, if we're going to be serious about affordability, but also climate change, right? Almost 40% of climate change is contributed because of the real estate sector. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to be serious about removing cement, removing the need for steel, we need to make this a full-fledged product and wall that's made out of our product, right? So, and and that's what we've achieved to do. Well, may, may I ask you, I'm just curious about uh, how, how do you address uh, questions related to like uh, like fire safety? I mean, you know, you're, you're putting hydrocarbons in the wall. Yeah. First off, we don't use PVC. Um, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll be very happy when we can crack uh, how we can use that safely. But as you yeah. all know, PVC yeah. once it's uh, uh, when, once it's processed can be very toxic. Outside of that, what we do is there is a part of our formula that does include a master batch focused mm-hmm. on fire retardant anti corrosion okay. and protection. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there's no way around that mm-hmm. uh, unless unless we have some additives. Now, what we do is make sure that that proportion is very, very minimal. Yeah, yeah, right? but it needs so, to be there at a certain but level. But it needs to be there. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, good, good. And then, uh, because that's what uh, what's, what's on your website, is like you're focusing on the growing urbanization, following the, the economic uh, growth and so on. Um, so what type of materials are you able to replace? I mean, you, you kind of partly mentioned it already, like it's concrete walls. So how can we imagine, like, how does a, a house or a, or a building look like in the end? Where is all the plastic then going? Is it also the roof and, I don't know, windows or something? So right now we just make walls, mm-hmm. right? So if you think of a wall, there's the concrete column, there's the bricks, there's the cement. 
there's the base and the beam and the frames, right? Yeah. These are kind of the basic components that you need. And we replace all of that with our product. Mm-hmm. And the way that we think about our application is twofold. The first is ground level kind of buildings and structures. These are the type that we've made in Cote d'Ivoire when we were with UNICEF. And these are really important, especially within affordable housing and the peripheries of cities. The second type of play that we see is multi-story units and us replacing the partitioning. So the non-load-bearing areas of those structures. These do two things. The first is, of course, you're replacing you know, all this expensive, very slow to use, uh, polluting stuff with ours, but it's our products are much lighter than they are. So the amount of cement and concrete that you need on the load-bearing kind of structures and foundation is also minimized. That's great for the environment. And of course, for developers, that's great on cost. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and what other applications, uh, like, because I can imagine it's kind of like, you know, you said extrusion and molding and so on. Can you also go into other products like, I don't know, panels or, or containers or stuff like that? Are you looking into this as well? So, so we have a philosophy of being very stubborn on our vision and flexible on how we get there. So what that means is, you know, right, right, right now, and again, this comes a lot from. You know, I like that. I like that phrase. I like that. <laughs> That's a good phrase. I like that. Go ahead. So, so, you know, especially from my time at Google, you know, one of the biggest philosophies is, um, you know, stay focused on what you're doing now, but have a vision to iterate on it a lot, right? So we have this product that we know works, and we're and and we're focused on getting that out there. Mm-hmm. It's really important that we get that out. Now, what we also do is we have a team and we're building a team that focuses on two things. First is what does the client want that we're not already giving them, right? Mm-hmm. Could it be roofing? Can, like you said, could it be containers? Can it be paving solutions? Whatever it is, right? But then on the second side, we also have engineers that are going to think about how to engineer that in a sustainable, cost-effective way mm-hmm. that we can bring into market, right? These take time. But what we do is we focus on the product we have, perfect it, make sure that that's out there. We can use it as many places. And then we have an iterative background process on how we can evolve and have new products over time. Mm -hmm. And may I ask how far is your company at the moment? Like, are you already selling or do you have already buildings standing with your product or first just developing projects with those developers at the moment? So when we started Cubic last year, and if you asked me where we would be uh, mid-2022, I would have told you we would still be in the market development exploration phase, right? We wanted to really be intentional around how we build this company. Um, We just had overwhelming (laughs) amounts of traction (laughs) and and reception. So where we are right now is we recently signed a lease for factory space in Ethiopia. Um, we got a lot of great exemptions <laughs> from uh, from the government because of the national value that this adds, yeah, both yeah. from you know environmental, but also on how we're contributing to affordable housing. Um, we already have uh, some clients lined up. As a matter of fact, we quickly realized our issue is not going to be demand; it's going to be on how we ethically source and optimize the supply chain. 
So where we are right now is kind of twofold. Uh, we're actually in a fundraising round to get this traction uh, met and 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 be able to run in in Ethiopia fast. But at the same time, we're building out the supply chain and working with great great partners, both international and and local, on how we can directly purchase from collectors. We realized in plastic sourcing, in many places, this is a mafia game. Unfortunately, you have the masses collecting and the few reaping the the benefits. Right. So what we're trying to do is work on how we can create the supply chain of directly going to these unionized, formalized waste collectors, both in landfill, but at the same time directly at the household level, yeah. so that we would be able to empower them directly versus go through uh, the commercial means that that many are unfortunately part of. Wow. I mean, uh, just um, uh, a little bit of a segue, but but still, I think, topically relevant here. Um, uh, I, I can see also at this stage, this is maybe not not, not what where you're focusing in so much on, but but maybe at some stage it, it will become more important. What, what about uh, are you at all sourcing or seeking to source any? You know, ocean waste, ocean-bound plastic waste, or or is the, is the plastic waste that you're taking and converting to something of value? Is that is that mainly coming from from you know uh, uh, dumps and and in landfill sites? Uh, yeah. What's your your thinking on that? So the way that we've structured our model, our business is we will take the trash of a country and add value to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my country, Ethiopia, is landlocked. That's right. So, yeah. so, so, um, we do, we don't focus much on, <laughs> we don't, we don't focus much on ocean plastic, but we do focus a lot on waste in lakes. Uh, you know, we're, we're in one that's of the close biggest enough. tectonic that's close enough. plates, right? Yeah, um, really, that is close but, enough. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, we, our origin story is at UNICEF in, in Cote d'Ivoire, right? Uh, uh, which, which is, uh, you know, a coastal country, uh, mm-hmm. with the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. So as we start thinking about these new markets, of course, mm-hmm. how we tackle ocean plastic is very critical. Mm-hmm. And okay. unfortunately, places like Lagos uh, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. right, uh, their waterways and their slum areas are within kind of the arteries of 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 the um, ocean, and and that is not acceptable, both from you know how plastic waste has landed there, but also from a equity standpoint for how people have these type of living conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think what is interesting, because that's what you already mentioned, you started at Cote d'Ivoire, and then you can, you know, you looked at, you, you looked at it from first an Ethiopian perspective, Cote d'Ivoire, you started doing the business, and now you're in Nigeria. I think that's that's a very scalable model that, can uh, not only work in uh, different countries in Africa, but I think can be even exported also outside of Africa, which is, uh, which is, I think this is, this is the real strength of such, such solutions. And what, what I just learned from you, you intentionally build it very carefully and you, you know, you, you kind of carved out this, this, this vision. And then afterwards the, the operations afterwards so that I think you have a, a pretty good recipe also <laughs> to scale this um, to, to, to other countries. How is the interest, because you already mentioned there is an interest in, in, in Ethiopia because of, uh, yeah, also from the, from the government. Do, do you already have interest also from, from other countries or maybe even outside of Africa? 
a lot. Um, uh-huh. I won't name those countries on the podcast, but yeah, yeah. Uh, everywhere from Central Asia to East Asia uh-huh. to, uh, of course, Sub-Saharan Africa, even even the EU, uh, uh-huh. right? Specifically from how we source waste from there. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest recipe for a company to fail is being distracted, right? Especially one as early as ours. So we've been very intentional, again, staying focused and proving this out in one place and then working towards growing it. Um, And I'm also very humble enough to not know where our company will be in five years, right? Or even 10. Um, And and that's by design of- Definitely, I know where it will be. It will be definitely on our podcast again. There you go. Oh, yeah, perfect. Perfect. I love that guarantee. Yeah, that's a guarantee. Um, But but yes, there's a lot of interest. Um, The way we want to tackle this is, again, how does this align with our vision? How can we actually bring the biggest impact in this country? And of Mm -hmm. course, how can we- can we run a successful business in those markets? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, Matt, I mean, uh, I, I'm sure you agree. I mean, this is this is so in line with what what it is that Plastic Climate Future is is all about. Keita said, and and uh, it, you know, it's it's so encouraging to see these examples of of entrepreneurship. I mean, applying all the skills and experience that you've developed with your education and other experiences to do what you're doing. You know, because. I mean, uh, indeed, taking plastic waste and turning it into something valuable. I mean, otherwise, it's just sitting there. It's wasting away. It's it's creating all these problems that you've just described. I mean, you just you couldn't have hit the sweet spot better as far as really uh, what what we think is is important about uh, plastic climate future. And and one thing's for sure, you you have with you know for with plastic climate future, you definitely have us as. As, as an ally and a platform to to further you know make your voice heard thank yeah. you well but we we heard it. it's it's already it's, it's already here. being heard here it's it is i mean heard. i said further yeah <laughs> but i think uh, what what you just mentioned with and what would be interesting from my perspective because i just had this uh, discussion about regulations um and you mentioned you you have also interest from the european union um, are you familiar? I mean, obviously you are a very international and global person, so maybe you are familiar with with the regulatory activities at the EU level and also already existing legislations and, and models to tackle um, yeah, plastic problems with, with plastic waste. Um, is there something that you say, Leah, that's worth adopting or it's worth to also collaborate more intensely with with uh, yeah Africa in general and also maybe with, with specific countries in Africa just out of yeah. curiosity yeah. There, there's there's a lot of activity um, I think one of the very promising ones from earlier this year is there's there's a you know international alliance to end plastic pollution. Uh, as a matter of fact, the uh, initiation of that uh, of, of that uh, protocol happened here in Nairobi, uh, which was very exciting, right? Um, there's a lot of areas that I see opportunities and, and also worry about. I think one of the biggest ones is the textile industry. Um, when I think about uh, my time in Ethiopia, 
right? A lot of people were wearing secondhand clothes and, and they still do in here in Kenya as well. Um, this is when I found out that, you know, a lot of uh, unused textile, uh, Africa is the dumping ground of it, both mm -hmm. in the landfills and of course there's a secondhand market. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, uh, polyester um, is plastic or is a derivative of plastic. So when we start thinking about uh, what waste means beyond just, you know, the, your, your normal plastic pollution, I really do worry about these type of industries and their mm -hmm. contribution to both the degradation of our environment and climate change. I think there needs to be more, um, there needs to be more solutions, but also more collaborations with that industry on how to build circularity around it. Mm -hmm. um, I feel that's lagging behind a bit. Um, of course, you know, when it comes to the type of work that we do and the materials that we deal with, um, there needs to be more actors, but I do see that growing presence, which is very encouraging. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Like I just came back, as, as I said, from Davos from a conference on uh, textile manufacturing. Um, and uh, this was exactly one of the issues is how much, how urgently do we have to regulate? How much can we regulate as uh, European Union? How much is, is it? necessary also to involve the industry and and one of the points was was actually met like yeah because uh we are in europe with the textile industry um yeah affecting uh other regions either from which we source so like a lot of uh, asian countries but also the the whole topic about what are we doing with the waste afterwards mm -hmm. and um I think 30%, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think 30% of the production is just being thrown away because it's not being sold, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's crazy. <laughs> I, yeah, I, but, I think uh, I, I came up with an, a more alarming stat, um, and don't quote me on this. Yeah. I think one jeans requires several gallons of water to make. Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, oh, yeah. I think and it's... It's several. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to, to yeah. be conservative. I think when I think about um, some people that I see having resource scar scarcity around access to water, you know, it's kind of mind blowing that there's this disproportionate value that we've given, uh, you know, uh, use and throw materials like a jeans that you might wear for a year mm -hmm. and a human's life. And I think there needs to be more done around that. Yeah. 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 Well, one last question from my side, which uh, in this context is, do you, also get support or other similar programs um, like uh, in, in, in the EU, for example, that support projects like this also financially, or do you have to look for funding uh, all by yourself from investors? We definitely need to look for uh, funding from investors on our own. Uh, but having said that, it is very encouraging to see both the amount of capital that European EU-based VCs especially are deploying now. These are massive funds, um, usually focused on climate, but also just broadly on environmental degradation. Mm -hmm. I also do see a lot of family offices that are discreetly deploying capital. Even here in Kenya, there, there are some of these families uh, from, from the EU. That's very encouraging, right? I think the one thing that I feel is happening is, you know, as a, as a recovering UN staff, uh, one of the things that I do see is the private sector is really stepping in to mm -hmm. 
to do something around climate change and environmental degradation. Um, a lot more to a long, a long, long way to go. But the fact that this attention is there, the fact that a lot of investment theses are being built around how companies are contributing to the positive uh, effects of, of, of Earth is very, is very great. The one other area that I'm seeing a lot of promise around is some of the state-sponsored uh, development organizations within the EU, where we recently started working with uh, a German development organization in Ethiopia that is providing a lot of opportunities to the creation of decent jobs in the country and trying to do that within the businesses of waste collection and areas that are affecting women the most. So I think these are the natural type of uh, partnerships that we would see ourselves outside of investing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, mm -hmm. I think the story is worth uh, or, or super exciting and especially also for, for uh, to follow what's going to happen in the next couple of years. I mean, you're very focused, as you said, but uh, yes, yes. I think we can agree, John, that there is a vast amount of opportunities where this can actually go into. Um, oh, gosh, we're just, I mean... Just building here the, the foundation, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, really... Uh, yeah, just hit 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 really hit hit a really good one tonight. That's for sure. You know, just, uh, I mean, you know, I'm an old man. I don't I don't know how old you are, Keith. Don't don't, don't, don't tell us. But I, I'm the I'm the old man. My, my, my I'm kids sure tell me I'm that. old. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, but I just it's just so encouraging to see all this innovation taking place. And I come from the polymer industry. I started with Dow, went to Borealis. I'm responsible for millions and millions of metric tons of this stuff, man. Uh, and, and plastics are valuable. You're, you're making that proof. You're proving that plastic waste is valuable. So, so, uh, but, but we, we got problems to solve with so much of it around in the environment. Uh, and this is just so much, um, so inspiring. So thank you very much for what you're doing and looking forward to uh, helping in any way we can. Yeah. Thank you. But but before before we let you go, we, we yeah. have to, uh, we have one more question because we have uh, our slowly very famous Plastic Climate Future playlist on Absolutely. Spotify, where we collect always uh, some uh, suggestions for songs uh, from our guests. Um, these songs can either relate to, to, to your person, to plastic climate future, to your activities, or can simply be cool songs. Yeah. So if you have one or two songs that uh, we could put uh, from Play your it. side, it would be amazing. Wow. Um, well, well my, my team will find this very predictable, but I love <laughs> the Afrobeats genre. I think it's yeah. a great... Super. Uh, montage to African culture in a very modern way. And one of my favorite artists is called Burna Boy. Burna uh, and he recently had a song called Last Last that you should definitely put on there. It'll be on uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I'll make sure to tune in and, and listen from your playlist. You know, what I want to say is rock and roll, but what I mean to say is Afro beat. That's cool. This is so cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, all right. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah.